We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Hey, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. I know, super Christmassy, right? It's like a super common Christmas book to turn to. Are we going to Luke? Well, maybe we'll get there too. But no, we're going to the book of Revelation. Seems weird, but it's not. If you were with us last week, you'd know it's not. Because what we've been doing all year is going through the entire story of the Bible, which we believe is the true story of the whole world, from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to new creation, to all things being renewed in heaven and on earth. And while we are in this Advent season where we're recognizing, remember, Advent means the coming or the arrival of someone or something so important that it changes everything, right? That's what Advent is. So as we're celebrating the first Advent, the first arrival of our King, Jesus, we are also in a season where we're looking forward to his second Advent. We're waiting for him to come back again. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. Yes, there's weird imagery. There's like this weird dream going on, weird visions. lots of complicated stuff for sure. But what the book is about is saying, hey, you know this whole story. From the beginning of time, you know how Jesus said when he was walking on earth, hey, all that, all that Old Testament scriptures, it was all pointing to me. I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets, right? Everything also after that is pointing us to Jesus returning and restoring all things in the book of Revelation is all about that. It's first and foremost, primarily not about the end times, but about the renewal of all things. Not about uh, how, how can we figure out these signs and wonders and how can we like calculate these numbers and crack the code, right? But no, it is about Jesus being made king over all of the universe. And so that shouldn't be a scary thing for us. It should be good news of great joy for those of us that are in Jesus. Amen. So we're in Revelation 19 this morning. And as you're turning there, what we've been doing through this season of Advent is looking at these four themes of Advent that historically, traditionally, the church has honored during this time, this season of the year. Uh, Four themes that we see Jesus bring in his first Advent and that he will one day fully bring in his second Advent when he comes again. This theme of hope, love, peace, and joy. And so this week we get to settle on that last one there, joy. And what we have seen is that because we have a hope that the love of God is going to one day restore all things in full peace, once we get there, we'll experience true joy. And we said that hope isn't just this wishful thinking. It's not like, oh man, I really hope that the sons are going to do well this year, right? You have no certainty. I mean, they're they're a pretty good team, but you have no certainty, right? It's not just wishful thinking, but it's a confident assurance in what God will do based on the story of what he has already done. Because God has always come through on his promises. We can have an assurance, a true hope that he will do what he said he's going to do. And in that hope, 
we've seen that lived out because of the love of God. And we said love is not just this dopamine high. It's not just the warm, fuzzy feelings and an emotion, right? But love is God himself. God is love. And we see that love displayed through him. And we get to display that love when we're in connection with him and communion with him. And that true love is consistently, continually keeping in commitment in a covenant relationship. So it's sacrificial, it's actions, right? It's relational, it's intentional. It's so much deeper than just, I fell in love with this girl. And then peace, we said, is so much more than just feeling calm or quiet, like a peaceful house, our kids aren't screaming. Man, it would be nice, right? It's so much more than just feelings of tranquility. I just have this sense of peace in my, no, no. What peace in the Bible is talking about is this word shalom, that God is making all things right. All things will work in harmony with each other the way they were supposed to in the beginning. And so it is the absence of conflict, but it's also the presence of God himself with us. And so today, as we look at joy, I'm praying that we would see that joy is so much more than just happiness. Joy is so much more than just good feelings. Joy is so much more than just our circumstances. But joy is a deep well of contentment, of satisfaction that is based in our eternal outcome, not in our temporary circumstance. And so let's turn to Revelation 19 and we'll get a little picture of what that could look like. I'm just gonna read to us the first eight verses in chapter 19. What John has been seeing, he's been getting this vision where Jesus has returned and he is doing battle with the evil in the world. And in their culture and in the story of the Bible, what we've seen is Babylon is often this picture of everything that's wrong with the world. Do you remember Babylon in the Old Testament who enslaved the Israelites? And so Babylon became this picture, this imagery. So later when the Egyptians were enslaving them, uh, there would also be times where they would be referred to like Babylon. When Rome was enslaving them, there would be words and, and phrases that were used to refer them back to being like Babylon. And so in Revelation, in chapter 18, John's seeing this vision of Babylon finally being defeated by God. And so he says in verse one, chapter 19, after this, after this victory, after God shows up, after this, I heard something like the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality. I know it's Christmas time, right? What are we doing here? And he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands. A second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who is seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. A voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all his servants and the ones who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder. So it's really loud saying this. Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad 
rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. I know there were some confusing things in there. Don't worry, we will get to that in a little bit. But this is the word of God. A vision, a message from Jesus passed through an angelic messenger to John, and he was told to write it down for the church for years to come. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this vision of what is to come. We thank you that you are still at work in your world. You have not given up. And we thank you that this word is true, and we thank you that it is what we place our hope in, that it's filled with your love, that is a picture of peace, and that in that we can experience the fullness of joy. God, we pray that this morning we would see you more clearly. Even through the confusion, through the the imagery, through uh, me, God, my my limits in being able to communicate, God, that we as a people, as your people, would see you, Jesus, more clearly than we did yesterday. Transform us, make us more and more into the image of your son. Fill us with your spirit, all to the glory of your name, Father God. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I was cranky, exhausted, starving, really uncomfortable, but I just collapsed on our living room floor in our apartment, filled with so much contentment and no other word I could find for it, but joy. This was several years ago, and I was doing a job where I traveled around the country speaking at schools, and a friend and I had just gotten back from a two and a half week tour across the country. We hit 22 states. We spoke at nine schools, In order to cover that much ground while driving, it meant we were driving 16 hours on many of those days, sometimes even more, speaking multiple presentations to the students and then doing a teacher workshop and then parent nights and then getting in the car and driving again, eating terribly fast food all along the way. Uh, I had to go to the bathroom really bad when I got home. But there were a few things I was thinking as I was walking to the door. I, I need to go to the bathroom. I need to take a shower. It was really bad. I need to get something to eat. And I need to go to bed. But somewhere in there, I knew also, I I need to just go hug my family. Because it had been two and a half weeks. At this time, our twins were probably about three or four years old. And I just missed them like crazy. And one thing you need to know is during that season of life, anytime I would leave to go on one of these trips, the twins would always get sick, like bad sick, like throwing up sick every time. So Bethany would be stuck there with sick kids for a couple of weeks while I was gone. It was inevitable. It happened every single time. And sure enough, this time was no different. And so I felt really bad for that too. And I missed them incredibly. But there was this crazy new technology at that time called FaceTime. And so I could get on my phone and I could see my wife and my sons. I could see their faces and I could hear their voices. And, you know, they're toddlers now. And so they're starting to use words and we could talk a little bit. 
What was interesting about that is it did two things. One, it was really good to see their faces and to hear their voices. But two, it also reminded me even more of how far away they were. And so it actually created this deeper longing in me. Every time I would get off of that FaceTime call, I would feel an even deeper sense of, I miss you guys. But I had a hope, I'm gonna see you soon, right? As soon as I opened up the door, there was balloons and a banner saying, welcome home, daddy, and cookies made and music playing. And my wife and my sons, well, mostly my wife, because they were like three or four, had planned a dance party for me to come home to. And it was like the coolest thing in the world. And if you've seen our family's rhythm, you also know it was probably the most comical sight ever. But we had this little dance party right there in our apartment living room. And then I ended up just collapsing on the floor, holding my two boys, talking to my wife and feeling this sense of joy and contentment. It was deeper than my need to go shower. It was deeper than my need to go get some food. It was deeper than my need even to go to the bathroom in the moment deeper than my need to go to bed. I just felt this, this joy, this overwhelming satisfaction. Thank you, God, for providing me with this. Thank you, God. All, all good things are a gift from the Lord. Thank you for this moment. I know this moment won't last forever, but thank you that you have given me people in my life who love me well and for me to love in return. This shows the love of God. All these things, seriously, uh, uh, this is not one of those pastor stories where you like spiritualize it later. All these things were going through my head in that moment as I had collapsed on the floor, just tired. And I just felt super content. It was the hope that I would see them that had actually finally come to fruition. When it finally came into reality, that's when the joy had filled my heart. And that's what we see a picture of in Revelation. That's why suddenly there's a multitude of voices exclaiming, hallelujah. Now, this is the only time in the New Testament you will see that word, hallelujah. All other times in the New Testament, you'll see a Greek translation of the old Hebrew word, hallelujah, which is spelled in our translations now, hallelujah, without the H. Doesn't seem like a big deal. Why, why is that important, right? Because there is a distinction. In the Greek, when it's usually translated over to alleluia, it's more of a command. Hey, praise God. You should praise God for this right now. It's a command given. But when it's hallelujah, and John purposely goes back to his old school Hebrew roots to dig that out and to say, no, remember this word. This is actually just an expression. It's an exclamation to praise God. It's no longer a command. It's like coming out of the spring, the well of your heart. Praise God. Because everything they had been longing for from the very beginning, when human rebellion started marring the world, when sin created distance between humans and broken relationship, when it brought a curse upon their relationship with the creation they were supposed to care for, when it brought a division between them and the one who had created them, when it started to mess up and twist up even the relationship with your own self inside. Ever since that moment, the people have been waiting and longing for God to come and make it right, just as he had promised. 
And John gets a picture of that happening. And suddenly everyone just bursts out with praising God because the thing they had been hoping for had finally come to full fruition. It had finally entered into reality. And that's the thing that we're waiting for. Now, listen, I know there's a lot of of weird imagery in here. And so let's take a look at it. And I'll be the first to admit, I do not understand everything about the book of Revelation. There's probably a very, very, very small percentage of what I understand in the entire Bible itself, let alone the book of Revelation. But there are some things that we can know. So we need to know there's some things we do not know, right? And we need to hold that loosely and go, we just trust God. He's in control. And one day these things, these mysteries will be revealed to us. But there are some things that he actually wants us to know. And there's some things that if you took our our course through the book of Revelation earlier in this year, uh, then you were able to see some of those things that we pointed out that actually the book of Revelation itself or other parts of scripture themselves will actually tell you, and this is what this means, right? So let's look at some of those things here because I think it's gonna help us understand and get a better sense of why There's so much joy happening right here. First, why in the world are we just a few days before Christmas talking about in verse two, this notorious, I almost, do we have kids left in here? Aiden's in here. This notorious prostitute. I almost just, let's just call it like the unfaithful woman from now on because it makes me feel awkward, right? Well, why are we talking about this right now? Remember what we had just said happened in chapter 18, who God had defeated. Who was it? The nation of Babylon. Now, Babylon as an actual nation is not around, right? So what in the world is this about? Remember, this is a code word for the empires and kingdoms of the world who do not live according to the kingdom of God. This is a code word for the way the world operates that is outside of what God has set for his people to live in. And oftentimes throughout scripture, both throughout the Psalms, uh, throughout a lot of the prophets and all throughout Revelation, people are referred to as a woman or a lady. The church, God's people, his bride, and even even before uh, we became called the church, through Jesus in the New Testament, but when God's people Israel were referred to in the Psalms, we were often called, they were often called as a woman. And the saying goes for those who are living outside of God's ways, an unfaithful woman, a prostitute, someone who was trying to get other people to come and be unfaithful to who they were married to, Yahweh, the God of Israel. No, 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 come and be with this God instead. Come and make yourself your own God. Come and follow these ways. And so this was a code word for the world operating outside of how God had created the world to operate. Does that make sense? And what's happened here is God has finally done away with that. The world living in its own ways and what they think is right. Remember, we saw that in Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes and what often followed Violence, wickedness, sexual immorality, oppression, broken relationships, kingdoms that were falling apart. 
Do you remember that there was a, a prophet named Hosea? God actually called and said, hey, I want you to do something crazy. This is my translation. God didn't say crazy. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to marry this unfaithful woman, this prostitute in your town. And she's going to be unfaithful to you. She's going to keep leaving you, going after other men. And I want you to keep being faithful and pursuing her and calling her back home. And you don't step outside of that marriage. You stay faithful. And the reason God had him do this was to show a picture. God often had his prophets do like these, uh, what do you call them? Like these live multimedia art displays, right? Like when you go out on Mill Avenue in Tempe and you see like these street performers doing stuff, this is often what he would have his prophets do. They would do these weird things that would be a visual to the people. And so this was a visual, a lifelong visual to the people of Israel to say, this is what God does. You are the unfaithful bride. You keep stepping out on him, but God continually faithfully pursues you and calls you to come back home. What we get a picture of here in Revelation is God saying, hey, that, that urge, that desire, that unfaithful temptation that's calling you to come step outside of this, I'm doing away with that. I'm destroying it. There will be no more. But those who desire to be faithful here, faithful to God, faithful to his kingdom, faithful to his ways for the world, they will exclaim, hallelujah. Finally, that temptation is gone. Finally, the destruction and the violence and the immorality that that brought is gone out of the world. So then you get this picture now of 24 elders and four living creatures. They fall down, they start worshiping God. And there's this like question like, okay, well, who are these beings suddenly, right? Like, where do these 24 elders come from? Uh, what about these four creatures? And so if you remember in the Old Testament, when God had called his people, Israel, he made nations or tribes out of that nation, right? There were 12 tribes of Israel. And when Jesus came and he called people to follow him, he appointed 12 specifically as specific disciples of his in order to paint a picture of, hey, what had been destroyed in Israel, I am restoring. But in the Old Testament, you had this picture of 12 tribes of Israel. This nation was to be set apart. And in the New Testament, Jesus opens up this way of salvation, this enter into the kingdom of God invitation to all of the world, all the Gentiles, every other nation. And so oftentimes what we'll see in the book of Revelation is this number 24 is this picture of bringing all of that together. It's 12 plus 12, right? Bringing that together. Now, could there be specific 24 elders in the throne room? Of, I, yeah, maybe, I don't know. But what I'm saying is they are a representation of all of God's people. All of God's people throughout the ages start exclaiming, praise God. Four creatures, oftentimes, and you find this in the book of Daniel, which we've gone through before, that there were these visions, these pictures of these animals, beasts, these creatures that would represent a kingdom. And that is traced all throughout scripture. And so even in, in Revelation, we find that here, that there are these creatures that are representing what kingdoms are like. And usually uh, that number four in the Hebrew would mean every direction, right? North, east, southwest. In the very beginning in Genesis, when there's the tree of life in the center of the garden, and then there's this river and it's flowing in four directions, 
to bring life to all the world. That, that, that is this picture of a totality. And so you have four creatures that are representing all the kingdoms of the world. All of God's people and the 24 elders, all the kingdoms have come and said, Jesus is the true king. God's kingdom is the real kingdom. Fall down and worship him. Let us submit our power, our authority, our rule to his way because his way is the only good way. And in that, they find joy. Now that's the key for us that I I wanna zoom in on. Okay, 24 elders, unfaithful women, like what are we talking about, Chris? What does this have to do with my life, right? That's the key. Laying down our reign, our authority, our rulership, our, this is what seems right in my own eyes. Laying that down and going, I know that Jesus is the true king. I know that God's kingdom is the best. I know that it's gonna one day rule and reign over all of creation, everything in heaven and on earth. It will be reunited as one and God will rule it all. Jesus is king, not me. His ways, not my ways. As John said, I must decrease so he can increase. As Jesus himself said, not my will, God, but your will, Father. That we would say those things, we would actually find joy in it the result of it would be the fruition of our joy. It would actually be a reality. We would experience the thing that we've been hoping for all along. Now here's the key. We'll experience it one day in in its fullness. But here's a little secret. This one's for free. We can actually experience it here and now as well. Turn with me to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, we're going to read verses 3 through 9. Peter, who had followed Jesus, who also deserted Jesus at the most crucial point, but then was forgiven by Jesus and welcomed back by Jesus and filled with the spirit of Jesus, then went out and started proclaiming Jesus to all the nations. And he wrote this letter one time, and he said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living, what? Hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that is imperishable. That's what your hope is in. You catch that? He's given us a living hope because Jesus lives. The hope is this, that because Jesus lives, we will have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Guess what? We just read about it. It was revealed to John so we can get a picture of it. Verse six, you rejoice in this. Do you know who he's writing this to? He's writing this to people who are poor, who are living as Christians in the midst of a very unchristian world. Like, not not like America unchristian, right? What I'm talking about is like, you will get killed for saying you don't follow Rome's gods, but you follow this Jesus. And if you don't get killed by the Romans, you might get killed by your own people because following Jesus sounds like blasphemy to them when it comes to following Yahweh. So they're living in poverty. They're living in 
oppression. And actually many scholars believe that this specific letter is talking to these women in this town that he's writing to who have come to faith in Jesus, but either their husbands or their, many of them were slaves, many of their slave masters, or sometimes that was one and the same, were not Christians. And so now they're being abused or neglected by who they live with and who's supposed to care for them. And he's writing to them saying, you rejoice. You rejoice, verse six, in this, not in anything else, in this truth that we just read about. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials. Like he's not negating what they're going through. He knows that's real, right? I know what you're going through, but rejoice in your hope and the glorious inheritance that cannot be taken from you. Verse seven, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, it may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember we read last week, verse one, the book of Revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he talking about? Hey, everything you are hoping and waiting and longing for, it will come to fullness one day when Jesus returns. He's gonna make all things right. Verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. May that be true for us today. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you see how all these themes are tying together? Our joy comes in its fullness when we've put our hope in the right thing. Several years ago at that same apartment where I shared that other story, uh, I had this conversation with a man named Nick who became a, a good friend of mine. But the first conversation I had with him was a little intense, to be honest with you. I had seen him several times at the gym, at the apartments, and he would work out three times a day. This is not an exaggeration. I would constantly see him there at the gym. He wasn't a big guy. He's maybe my size, maybe a little bit smaller, but just ripped shredded. He would always walk around without his shirt on. That's how I knew. And I was like, I can't blame you, dude. If I look like that, I'd walk around without my shirt on too, but I'd keep my shirt on for a reason. But he looked just in amazing shape. And so I asked him one time, I was like, hey, dude, I see you here all the time. This is our first conversation. I see you here at the gym all the time. How do you do that, man? How do you work out that many times a day? And he goes, yeah, I work out like three times a day. And I was like, that's insane. First, why? Second, why? Third, how? How, how do you do that, right? And he goes, well, here's the thing. I'm an alcoholic. And if I don't work out like this all the time, I'll go back to drinking. And I was like, wow. Like right away, first conversation, right? First time I actually met this guy. I was like, man, that's intense. So basically you traded one addiction for another addiction. And he goes, yeah, basically, but a healthier addiction. I was like, okay, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I was like, you know, good for you. Hey, can I ask you a question? Like what happens because you're working out all the time when you injure yourself? Like you blow out your knee and you can't work out for a while. And he just looked at me straight dead in the eye without hesitation and said, I'd probably start drinking the next day. 
You see, he, he had put his hope in something that could save him from what he was stuck in. But was that hope eternal? Could that hope last? Could it persevere through the struggles and hardships of life? I'll tell you that many months later, Nick was sleeping on our couch because he got kicked out for drinking again. And I had taken him into a rehab clinic. Here's, here's the good news of the rest of that story. Is he ended up going into this Celebrate Recovery program with his dad's church and he got saved and he came to know Jesus. And he now finally replaced all those addictions with a greater hope that could not be taken from him. And that's going to bring him the true joy that he needs. Maybe we're not all struggling with alcohol in this room, or maybe some of us are, I don't know. Maybe it's something completely different. Maybe it's something that looks very sociably acceptable, working out all the time. Great, man. Wow, that's impressive. People would look up to him, right? But all of us are probably trying to put our hope into something that cannot last us. Your joy everything you've ever been waiting for and hoping for and longing for, everything you've ever wanted out of life, it is completely tied to the thing you are placing your hope in. And what we just read is there is something you could put your hope in that could never be taken from you. And that's found in Jesus. And we read about that hope in Isaiah this morning as we lit those candles, didn't we? We read about how this one would come and bring us joy. And in Luke 2, verse 10, this is the last one, I promise, if you turn there with me. We just read all about John getting a visit from an angelic messenger and a whole host, a multitude of voices. Of The translation, there's actually an army of messengers of God show up and start exclaiming joy. This is what happens when Jesus enters the world. Verse 10 in Luke 2, an angel shows up to Mary and says, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great, what? Joy. Again, a poor little girl in Bethlehem. She's about to find out that she's going to be pregnant and she's not yet married. What would often happen in that culture is if it weren't the one who was supposed to marry her, then it would have been her own father could have had her stoned and killed. And he says, good news of great joy because of what's coming. It will be joy for all the people, he says. And in verse 11, today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Then suddenly, verse 13, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with that angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. This is the Christmas story This is the story of our faith. This is the true story of the whole world that we live in and that your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members who don't know Jesus also live in. And they need to know this story. We need to know this story. Hope was given and joy was promised before Jesus showed up. And Jesus showed up and the multitude of the heavens said, this is it. This is the one who will fulfill it. And then we get a picture 
from John in Revelation saying, yes and amen, it is happening. This season, as we are going through the hustle and bustle of Christmas, may we put our hope in the love of God shown to us through Jesus, the only way we'll find true peace and rest so that we could experience the fullness of joy. Amen.